Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Man, went from summer to winter in New Orleans in the space of 24 hours. It does that. That's what's called springtime here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a week in which um, I've learned at least. I don't know about you. I don't know what you learned. But would you like to take a quiz? Uh, I've learned that there are internet-connected headphones now. This is part of this whole smart Internet of Things thing that's so smart. And um, I guess it was the BBC that reported that your uh, internet-connected headphones are reporting all your audio choices back to Bose, Dr. Amar Bose, which is selling the data to a third party, which is doing whatever they want with it. What have you listened to? Doesn't It doesn't lie. It doesn't say, I'm listening to the show when you're actually listening to somebody else. I wish it would. Maybe I should pay them to... And then there, we learned that there was an internet-connected... Now, there's, they're selling an, a smart litter box, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. A smart litter box, because you can't know, really, what your cat's doing in there. And you can't figure out whether your cat's lost weight, but this can. And, you know, maybe they can sell you some stuff. And then there's this in the annals of smart stuff. A Wi-Fi-enabled sex toy. Well, that's that's a brilliant idea, right? You know, stop there. With an A like that, you don't need to be. And a Wi-Fi-enabled sex toy that features an inbuilt camera can be hacked, according to security researchers. Well, who would have thunk that? It's trivial to connect to its web interface that the... Uh, device, the C-E-Me vibrator, S-I-I-M-E, C-E-Me. This meant attackers could access intimate videos recorded by the device as well as control other functions. The U.S. firm that makes the toy hasn't responded with comment. I would just, oh, you you know what I would do. You know what you'd do. Um, It was a few years ago when uh, there were a lot of record store chains across the country that uh, my significant other went into the West Hollywood outpost of one of them, a large record store chain, and asked the clerk, excuse me, where would I find the Ella Fitzgerald records? And the clerk's response was, and I'm quoting here, who? So now that the chains are gone and the remaining record stores are as bookstores, the remaining bookstores are, manned and womaned by people who actually know their business or their business, and it being the 100th birthday of the aforementioned singer, maybe this is, it occurred to me, this is a good day to answer the question, who? Hello, welcome to the show. chin is on the ground I pick myself up dust myself off start all over again don't 
Don't lose your confidence if you slip. Be grateful for a pleasant trip and pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Start all over again. Work like a soul inspired till the battle of the day is won. You may be sick and tired, but you'll be a man, my son. Will you remember the famous men who had to fall to rise again? So take a deep breath. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. Start all over again. From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of Le Show, and now... He's not a general, he commands no troops, he's not an inspector, he peeks at no stoops, he's an inspector general. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. News of inspectors general, ladies and gentlemen. At the main health care facility for veterans in our, uh, the nation's capital... That'd be Washington, D.C. Doctors have had to halt operating room procedures and dialysis treatments in the past year because of a lack of supplies. Nurses have frantically run through the facility hunting for nasal oxygen tubes during an emergency, and sterile surgical items have been left in dirty or cluttered supply rooms. That's according to the Department of Veteran Affairs Inspector General's report on conditions at the Washington, D.C. VA Medical Center. Conditions are so troubling, the IG released a rare interim report saying he's conducting a probe of the facility. Ooh, I hope it's an Internet-connected probe, but did not want to wait for its completion to warn the public. Quote, we have not seen anything quite like this at a VA facility, said the Inspector General, Michael Missel. I guess he's guiding himself. They have no inventory system. They don't know what they have or what they're going to need. Hospitals are typically chaotic places, he told the Washington Post. Good reason to stay out of them. But this was the highest level of chaos. Staff was literally scrambling every day. Sometimes they would have to go to other hospitals to get equipment as the procedure was going on. He said he also had a second motivation for going public. Investigators had determined the Department of Veteran Affairs had known about some of the deficiencies for years. And therefore, the inspector general had a lack of confidence that the agency would quickly address the problems. Veteran Affairs Secretary... David Shulkin said he ordered the head of the medical center be reassigned to duties elsewhere. Take your chaos elsewhere. Spread the chaos. And that a member of his senior staff would take over as acting director to oversee improvements. The uh, Washington, D.C. VA Center provides care, in quotes, to almost 100,000 veterans from across the region. Support the troops. 
The investigation began in March with a tip from a confidential informant, according to the inspector general. The problems mainly centered on inadequate staffing and scant attention to medical supplies. But aside from that, it's a very, very well-run hospital. The food and Dateline New York, the nation's big bank regulator, is faulting itself. Bad me, bad me, for failing to address the problems at Wells Fargo before it was too late. You know about the problems. I've told you about them repeatedly on this very broadcast. It's what I do. This is how we do. Um, but the, um, the person in question is the inspector general at the office of the comptroller of the currency. Don't forget that comp. That's a big comp. Uh, he said this week the regulators examiners saw sales problems. That they were selling bank accounts and credit cards to people who hadn't asked for them. That's the sales problem. At Wells Fargo, as early as 2010, a scathing assessment released last week by the board of directors of the bank said the problem stretched back many years. I shared this with you last week. According to the OCC's IG report, examiners met with Carrie Tolstedt, the executive in charge of Wells Fargo's consumer banking operations, to discuss 700 whistleblower complaints regarding the bank's aggressive sales practices. She told regulators at the time the large number of complaints was due to Wells Fargo having a culture that encourages valid complaints, which are then investigated and appropriately addressed. They complain so much because we're so good. Despite knowing about these complaints and other problems, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency declined to investigate further. It also did not look into risks that could come from compensation programs like those at Wells, which pays people if they make their sales quota, you see. The examiners took no action against Wells Fargo through at least 2014, according to the report. Months after the L.A. Times, they st- they're still in published its investigation into Wells' sales practices in Southern California. The OCC did not take timely and effective supervisory actions after the bank and the OCC identified significant issues with sales. Got a bright future in sales. Practices, the OCC's inspector general said in the report. Eventually, the OCC, along with other authorities, fined Wells Fargo $185 million last year those risks must really be stinging now. Finding Wells employees had opened as many as 2 million bogus accounts without getting customers' permission. Employees were trying to meet sales goals. The bank's own board said the problems date back at least 15 years, but executives had little interest in dealing with the problems until they spiraled, spiraled out of control. Well, that's when you can take real... The bank has reclaimed millions in that's uh, called a clawback in pay from Tolstead and former CEO John Stumpf. Those people just have too many consonants in their names, Tolsteds and John Stumpf. The board said they dragged their feet for years. Since the scandal, Wells has gotten rid of its sales goals and restructured how it pays employees to focus less on opening accounts and more on how those accounts are actually used. The bank also stopped referring to its branches as stores. That'll do her. Now, if we can only get Ford to stop referring to its dealerships as stores, we'll be back where we started. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And this is, uh, I guess, there was, there was a moment in the recent past when it seemed like this, this was not going to be timely material anymore. But uh, with 
the new Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was in Sessions, uh, now saying he wants to uh, firm up the federal government's anti-drug stance. Because it's worked so well. We have to go back to this. This is your brain on the war on drugs. The highest court in Massachusetts confirmed this week the dismissal of more than 20,000 drug cases because the evidence in them came from a chemist who is now incarcerated. Annie Dukan pleaded guilty four years ago to doctoring the results of uh, upwards of 34,000 drug tests while working at a state laboratory. One in six of the criminal drug cases tried in Massachusetts between 23 and 2012. Eight DAs and their offices have been working since January to make two piles of cases tainted by her work. One list of those the state wants to retry, a larger list of cases to be vacated. The decision by prosecutors this week to dismiss 21,587 drug cases marks the largest dismissal of wrongful convictions in United States history. We're making history here. You're, you're part of history just by sitting there. Prosecutors in Suffolk, where the majority of the tainted cases took place, say they plan to retry just 117 defendants, 1.5% of the total number of drug convictions in the county that were affected by the disgraced chemist. Mamas, don't let your children grow up to be disgraced chemists. This is your brain on the war on drugs, ladies and gentlemen. And now. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Well, you might expect the Arctic to be a a plastic pollution-free zone, but new research suggests that is far from the truth. Researchers exploring the Arctic Ocean have found that the waters are rife with plastic debris. New York Times reports Arctic waters seem to be a dumping zone for plastic riding along the ocean's currents. Plastic was discovered by an international team of researchers who circumnavigated the Arctic on a five-month journey aboard the research vessel Tara. In 2013, they sampled the ocean water along the way, looking at plastic pollution. And though the plastic concentrations were low, they located a specific region located north of the Greenland, north of Greenland, oh, sorry, north of the Greenland and Barents Seas with unusually high concentrations. Publishing the results in scientific adv- in science advances, it seems the plastic is riding up to the pole. It's pole riding with the thermohaline circulation, a conveyor belt ocean current that transports water from the lower latitudes of the Atlantic Ocean toward the poles. No dancing. The Greenland and the Barents Seas act as a dead end for this poleward conveyor belt, according to the lead author of the survey. Researchers estimate that the amount of plastic in that area is in the hundreds of tons, made up of hundreds of thousands of tiny pieces per square kilometer. The scale may be even larger, according to the researchers, due to plastic that may have accumulated on the floor of the ocean in the region. We clean up the floor. A lot of stuff on the floor. Even though the vast majority of the Arctic is fine, there's this bullseye, there's this hot spot of very, very polluted waters. Co-author of the study tells The Verge, while there's a remote possibility that plastic is being dumped directly into the Barents Sea, the icy stretch of water between Scandinavia and Russia, you can see Russia from there. 
The condition of the plastic found suggests it has been in the ocean for a while. The pieces may have been initially inches or feet in size. They've been brittled. Wow. Brittle as a verb. They may have been brittled by exposure to the sun and then fragmented, you know, fragmented as a verb, into increasingly smaller particles and eventually led to this millimeter-sized plastic that we call microplastic, said the co-author of the study. That process takes years to decades. So the type of material we're seeing there has indications it, it has entered the ocean decades ago. Eight million tons of plastic make their way into the ocean every year. Obviously, there's a humans don't agree on a lot. But we do agree that there's not enough plastic in the ocean. Around 110 million tons have accumulated in global waters so far. The accumulations in the Arctic are just the beginning. There's likely decades of plastic from the eastern U.S. Hello, elites. And Europe still in transit that will eventually make it to the Arctic. Researchers have uh, identified several subtropical gyres in the world's oceans where microplastics tend to accumulate. Let's go hang at the gyre, they say. The worry now is that the Arctic will join the list. We may be witnessing the formation of another garbage dump on the planet without fully understanding the risks to local fauna and flora. Don't be calling my gyre a garbage dump. Just one word, ladies and gentlemen. Microplastics. And now, another copyrighted feature of this program to torment your listening pleasure. We've got the ultra-modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the frack. What the frack. The largest earthquake yet detected in British Columbia's northeastern shale gas region was conclusively caused by fracking from Progress Energy in August of 2015, says a Canadian scientist whose study has been published. Han Kao, with the Geological Survey of Canada, says it's now clear the 4.6 magnitude quake, which was felt at the surface near the town of Fort St. John, eh? was the direct result of liquids being pumped into underground rock formations under high pressure to extract natural gas, i.e. fracking. It confirms what we've learned so far that the majority of earthquakes induced in the northeastern British Columbia appear to be related to hydraulic fracking operations rather than other injection operations, said Cow. Those would be like injecting wastewater back into the well, I guess. Progress Energy is owned by the National Oil Company of Malaysia, which wants to build a liquefied natural gas processing plant on the British Columbia coast. The source of the gas would be the shale gas area where the hundreds of small seismic events have been going on. The company hasn't made a final decision on whether to proceed with the project, which would ship liquefied natural gas to Asian markets. Yeah, screw up your waters. to. Now almost everybody, including industry and the research community, agrees there's no doubt that hydraulic fracturing and wastewater injection can cause earthquakes, Cal said. The question is how big or how damaging these earthquakes can be. Well, you know, there's only one really good way to find out. This is something that's very different from the reports from the central and eastern United States, where they indicate most of their induced earthquakes are related to the wastewater injection process, he said. The company has been very open. They make it clear they want to know the cause of induced seismicity as much as we do, said Cow. 
They spent a lot of money setting up seismic arrays. The key issue now, according to the National Observer of Canada, is whether seismic activity can be consistently kept below magnitude 4, which can't be felt at the surface. Well, then it's okay. California and more than two dozen other states require oil and gas producers to disclose the chemicals they use during fracking activities that enables scientific and public scrutiny of the environmental and human health hazards these substances may pose. I didn't say maypole, but uh, coming up, all existing disclosure regulations covering chemical use only in fracking and in California, two other types of well stimulation treatments. <laughs> Many of the same chemicals, though, go undisclosed when they're used in numerous routine, unregulated oil and gas field activities, such as drilling, cleaning, and maintenance of wells, according to a study published in PLOS 1. That's a scientific journal with a really boring name. The study conducted by scientists at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, where Ann Coulter wasn't going to speak, and the California-based Energy Science and Policy Institute, PSE, is the first to investigate chemicals used in routine oil and gas field activities which are unregulated and including the overlap between the chemicals used in both the regulated and unregulated activities. The researchers found the number of chemicals used for routine activities is as high or higher than the number used in fracking and those chemicals are used frequently and in high quantities. The further the disclosure data showed that the same chemicals used in fracking were also used in more than half the routine activities which are unregulated. They found, for example, common use of biocides. Those sound good, don't they? Bio from life and side meaning kill. <laughs> it's a class of hazardous chemicals that includes formal your formaldehyde and your acidizing agents, including hydrofluoric acid, in both regulated will stimulation activities and unregulated routine activities. These have major disclosure, uh, implications for chemical disclosure policies and risk assessments of oil and gas development in California and across the nation, according to the researchers. But what do they know? Process, uh, policies that focus exclusively on hydraulic fracking or well stimulation miss a huge swath of chemical usage that poses environmental and human health hazards, said one of the authors. Yeah, so what? That's what I say. Prove it. No, don't prove it. So what? Prove it's not a good argument. So what is a good argument, right? What the frack? And uh, on the subject of... On the subject of what, exactly? I think it's on the subject of the Olympic Games. That's what I think. And it's my show. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, you know, the 2020 Olympics are going to be in Tokyo. You can see 2020 from here. And they had promised a green games. But according to a group of charities, not so green. An investigation by charities twice found plywood from 
a Malaysian logging giant accused of deforestation and human rights violations is being used to construct the wooden stadium that will be the centerpiece of the Tokyo, Tokyo Games. The uh, company, based in Sarawak, Xinyang, is the company, at the construction site where they found the plywood, a breach of Japan's pledge to host a sustainable Olympics, according to seven environmental and rights organizations. Xinyang, one of the big six logging companies on the Malaysian part of Borneo, has systematically cleared pristine rainforest from the island, said a statement by the charities, which include Global Witness and the Rainforest Action Network. Xinyang didn't immediately respond to telephone calls or questions sent by email. Well, send the uh, thing to bat, bat down their door. See what that does. According to a 2015 report by Global Witness, Xinyang has cut down over 40 hectares of forest a day on Borneo, where half the plywood used in Japan's building and furniture industries is produced. Oh, well, they use it all the time. It's involved in a decade-long conflict at Xinyang in the central part of Malaysian Borneo with the indigenous community. Community leaders told investigators for Human Rights Watch, or sorry, the Human Rights Commission of Malaysia, that forest clearance create palm oil planta- plantations violates their rights to traditional lands on which they depend for their livelihoods. Plywood from this company would fail to meet any sustainability criteria, said Peg Putt, head of Markets for Change, one of the charities. Spokesperson for the International Olympic Committee told Thomson Reuters Foundation it had agreed on a sustainable sourcing code for timber with Tokyo to assure venues for the Games meet ethical standards. The IOC had been assured that the wood used for the Olympic Stadium met those standards. But Japan Sports Council... That's who's building the venues, said Xinyang Timber is being used. Both the Japan Sports Council and the building company leading the stadium's construction told Thomson Reuters all timber on the site meets requirements laid out in the code. That uh, seeming conflict might be explained because, according to the Rainforest Action Network, a provision in the code exempts cheap plywood used to shape concrete from sustainable sourcing regulations. Japan's government said the wooden design was chosen over competing proposals due to its fast construction and sensitivity to the environment. According to the report from the Human Rights Commission of Malaysia, Xinyang disforestation threatens local communities' ability to continue traditional ways of life in the forest and recommends the government step in to protect the Pinans, one of the country's most marginalized groups. You know who's marginalized, ladies and gentlemen? The Olympics, because it's a movement. And we all need one. In an internet-connected cat box. Every day.
From New Orleans, this is Le Show. You know, we we hear so much about fake news and uh, where it's coming from, and and more importantly, who's uh, paying attention to it, who who digs it. And uh, it was for a while believed and uh, asserted that uh, people on the right were much more avid consumers. There was a, a... some kind of survey that showed that people on the right were much more avid consumers of so-called fake news uh, than people on the left. Now comes this from the BBC. Since the election, fact-checking websites report what seems to be an increase in anti-Trump, liberal, fake news. Snopes told BBC that in the past week they have debunked many more anti-Republican stories than pro-Republican ones. One example of an incorrect story is the unflattering, digitally manipulated image suggesting that U.S. President <laughs> President Donald Trump had diarrhea during a recent golf outing. You sure that's fake? 
A recent study did effectively debunk the stereotype, according to the BBC, that fake news tends to be shared more by undereducated people or those with right-leaning politics. It affects both the right and the left. It affects educated and uneducated. So the stereotypes of it being simply right-wing and simply uneducated are 100% not true, says Jeff Green, the CEO of Trade Desk, an Internet advertising company that was recently commissioned by CBS to investigate who's reading and sharing fake news. His company did this by initially putting out two fake news stories, one which falsely stated police had raided a protester's camp at Standing Rock and burnt it down, the other about false claims there was a congressional plot to oust Donald Trump. By using specialized software, the company's researchers then followed readers' online behavior to get an idea of who and where they were. I hope they didn't check their cat box. On the left, if you're consuming fake news, you're 34 times more likely than the general population to be a college graduate. If on the right, you're 18 times more likely than the general population to be in the top 20% of income earners. And the study revealed another disturbing trend. The more you consume fake news, the more likely you are to vote. One reason, says the BBC, for the growth in liberal fake news is financial. Those people who generate this kind of stuff don't care about politics. They just care about generating clicks. And so sometimes they generate similar messages for the left and right. That's according to a professor of informatics at Indiana University who runs a fake news tracking site called Hoaxy. Uh, as for where the market for liberal fake news comes from, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, he got me on the go. Ladies and gentlemen, speaking of Donald Trump, and not speaking of any internal problems that he might be, have been having, this has been a, uh, a newsworthy week for President Trump. Um, we are in the um, home stretch of the run towards the uh, legendary mark which was established by President Roosevelt, the uh, FDR. Um, he was in the middle of a, the Great Depression and uh, needed to get things done. And so the first 100 days became a uh, benchmark for how many things he could get done. And it has been a benchmark for American presidents ever since. Uh, Donald Trump used to brag about how much stuff he would get done during the first 100 days. Friday, he issued a tweet calling it a ridiculous standard. Those... Things may, may, may both be true. Um, but in the race to next Saturday, which will be the 100th day, uh, there is a rush now, kind of sudden, to revive the failed plan to repeal and uh, replace Obamacare with a new repeal and pl- replace plan that uh, still has not been approved for uh, submission to a vote. You may remember the last time the Republicans split the uh, conservative-leaning Freedom Caucus and the moderate-leaning Tuesday group could not uh, come to an agreement on a plan. They were not going to get any Democratic votes, so they needed all the Republicans to hang together. Or they would hang separately. My, hey. um, But in the same week, this week coming up, uh, Donald Trump... President Trump said uh, he's going to announce a a tax reform plan. And in the same week, Congress has to approve a so-called continuing resolution to keep the federal government operating. Otherwise, it closes, it shuts down, or non-essential parts of it would shut down on the 100th day. Timing, timing. 
Other news, of course, included the saga of the USS Carl Vinson, the aircraft carrier and its associated group, but the president called an armada, uh, which he said was steaming towards North Korea at the height of tension regarding that uh, closed little entity, which uh, turned out not to be so uh, uh, existful. Uh, the Vincent at that moment was steaming towards Australia for long-planned war games, the, the Navy, some, some kind of thing like a war game. Uh, now it's headed back up to the North Pacific. That uh, resulted in some degree of, of um, chaos, some said, or at least doubt by uh, those in the area. You're Japan, you're, you're South Korea that uh, what the United States said could be relied upon. And, of course, White House spokesperson Sean Spicer still recovering from that uh, faux pas last week where he uh, brought up Hitler and saying Hitler never used poison gas on his people, comparing him to Bashar al-Assad, although he didn't remember to say Bashar al-Assad correctly. So that's, I know, it, it just takes a long time to go through all of it, or maybe it doesn't. This week, for the first time, a fateful deadline draws near for the White House team and for the businessman turned president. Putting points on the scoreboard has never been so important. Paul. Yes, sir. Paul Ryan. Yes, sir. We've met before. I know. This is just for the cameras. Makes the editing easier. Yes, sir. So, how we doing? Making good progress on uh, getting the two sides of our party together. On a new healthcare thing? On a green meat again, which is just a start. Okay, but here's the deal. Mm -hmm. We've had plenty of starts. We're like a business that sells raw furniture. I'm I'm not sure I... We need finishes. Mm -hmm. We need wins. You know what time it is? Well, it's about a quarter past two, although my watch does run a bit fast. My wife kids me. Here's what time it is. Mm. 90 days into the game, ref blows a big whistle at 100. No, I've, I've only seen the regular size whistle, so maybe I'm not... Your task this week is to put a health care bill on my desk for signing, like yesterday. Except if it happened yesterday, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd be having a nice victory photo op, right? Yes, sir. Obviously, as we give in on something to please the Freedom Caucus, we lose some votes in the Tuesday group and vice versa. I'm not sure anyone knows a way to make this go faster. Paul, I know a guy in the concrete union in New York. He could make this go so much faster your knees would need a year of rehab. Maybe he should be speaker of the, of the place. Well, normally you have to be a member. But we're not doing normal, are we? No, sir. So, can you do it this week before the big double one zero? Oh, of course, we've got to pass a resolution to keep the government running. I think your team can chew gum and vote at the same time. Do you? I'm going to do my best to find out. Sean, Mm -hmm. any wins? I didn't mention Hitler once at today's briefing. That's good. Let's try to get to a whole week without Hitler. Absolutely. No problem. I can make that happen. Okay. Now, your new task. Yeah, I'm accomplishing it already, and I don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm. 
With an attitude like that, you just might stay on the team. That's my plan. So, the Easter egg roll this week. Nobody mentioned Hitler the whole time. Will you stop with the Hitler? Was it the biggest White House Easter egg roll ever, like in history? I, uh, offhand, I, I couldn't say for sure. I can have staff look that up and get back to you double pronto. Here's the deal. I'm not Major Friggin' Garrett here. I'm asking you a question. Okay. I, I think it, it well could have been. Okay. Did we do that as an announcement? We kind of had our hands full. I mean, all these kids, all these parents, all these eggs. That's a win, right? Nobody's ever done that. Only since 1878, but... But this was the biggest? For the sake of argument. Forget argument. I'm talking press release. I'm talking statistics. That's what your team does, right? Press releases, not so much... Can you do it? Like by tomorrow? I, I don't want to be tripped up on the numbers, so I'll get my team researching it, and if... Why don't you let the fake media do all that work just to try to prove us wrong? Personally, I don't think that's a good strategy for my team. I'm going to... I'm going to go on a limb on this. Okay, good. That's very gutsy. Of course, I, I don't know if he likes gutsy or not. I, I assume he does. I know Hitler didn't. General McMaster. Yes, sir. From what I hear and I see it on other programs all the time, you were always a very good general. Thank you, sir. I think I earned some very high performance. Like one of the best generals ever. Well, there have been some great ones. Patton. Absolutely. He was the best. A very great leader. The way he stood in front of that huge flag. You mean in the movie? Right. Okay, General McMaster. You're my NATSEC guy? You're running that team? Yes, sir. I, I do think we've got the team pretty much squared away now. We've, uh, we've jettisoned the lightweights. Great. I hate lightweights. Even in boxing. Especially in boxing. Maybe only in boxing. But, General, I have a very special task for you this week. Well, very special we do immediately. The... Uh... Impossible. Give us a few days. Yeah, my dry cleaner used to have that printed on his hangers. Okay. You know that aircraft carrier, the, uh, the, the the Carl Vinton? I believe Vinton is the carrier. Vinton was a pop star of the early 60s, sir. Okay. Very good information on the name of the boat. Well. Here's what I need from you this week. Yes, sir. Kind of an up-to-date heads-upping on where the hell the Vinton, Vincent, Vinton is actually located. Can you organize that? Well... I'm not a naval operations, sir, but... But you're my guy. My head of my NATSEC team. I mean, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Next time I say that boat is steaming somewhere, I need to have it steaming, like, at least roughly there. Can you make that happen? <laughs> sir, if I can't make that happen, I should turn in my uniform. Don't do that. It's a beautiful uniform. Exactly. So, where is it now? Uh, the Vincent. Well, I'd have to check with Here's my... the story. This isn't that we have to look up what the boat is type deal. This is a we know where the boat is all the time set up. Right? Next time we talk, sir, I'll have exact coordinates. Great. And let me know where the boat is, too. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're going to make the first hundred days great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week... Don't even count the days.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. First of all, a few days following a fierce attack on Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, the Hamas movement has apologized for the unacceptable insults launched by some of its members during marches staged in the Gaza Strip. I extremely apologize for such an individual behavior, Mr. President, said Hamas spokesman Fauzi Barhum, describing the conduct of some of the movement's supporters as crossing the line of eloquence, principles, and ethics. Barhum's regret came only a few hours after another Hamas member apologized for the insults made against Abbas. That's a double apology. In the summer of 1949, a 17-year-old white girl named Norma Paget accused four black men of kidnapping her from a dark road in central Florida and then in the backseat of their car, taking terms raping her. Neighbors quietly doubted the girl's version of events. Others speculated the detailed account was merely a cover-up for the bruises she'd collected from her husband's suspected beatings. But in the middle of Lake County, where the local economy was sustained by orange groves, where black men worked, there was a law and order sheriff with a segregationist, union-busting, white supremacist reputation. Within days of the accusation, three black men from the city of Groveland were in jail and a fourth was shot by an angry mob led by the sheriff. In Groveland, black-owned homes were shot up and burned. Based on little evidence, a jury quickly convicted the living three. Charles Greenlee, just 16 at the time, was sent to prison for life. Samuel Shepard and Walter Irvin were sentenced to death. Convictions overturned by the Supreme Court before that could happen. McCall shot them both. The men known as the Groveland Four, the saga has spanned nearly seven decades after 68 years and several previous failed attempts. The state of Florida this week said, we're truly sorry. On the floor of the House of Representatives, lawmakers unanimously passed a resolution apologizing to the families of the Groveland Four and exonerating the men. It also calls on the governor to expedite the process for granting posthumous pardons since none of the Groveland Four is still living. Quote, this resolution is us simply saying we're sorry, understanding that we will never know nor may be able to make up for the pain we have caused, said a bill sponsor. He asked House members to stand and face the relatives of the four who were present. As the state of Florida and the House of Representatives, he said, we're truly sorry. The head of Tanium Incorporated has apologized for being hard-edged and for exposing a hospital's computer network during sales pitches. That's his first public statement since Bloomberg News reported turmoil at the cybersecurity startup. Past and current employees described abusive behavior by Tanium's chief executive officer, Orion Hindawi, that led to an exodus of top executives. Where the Hindawi? It's true that I personally can be hard-edged and I've had to apologize to people when I've gotten too sharp at times, he wrote in a blog. And it's true that as we've grown, we haven't matured processes in some areas as quickly as we added people, which is something we're working to do, hard to build faster. These are, in fact, all things we need to work on, and we're doing so every day. Software sends a signal to devices connected to corporate networks asking what software is running. The date of the last security patch result is swift visibility into what is connected and what is most vulnerable. In a demo, they used the internal corporate network of Silicon Valley-based El Camino Hospital without the hospital's permission or knowledge. And the hospital's identity was sometimes shared with the audience. We take responsibility for mistakes in the use of this particular customer's demo environment, Hindawi wrote. 
We should have done better anonymizing that customer's data. American Airlines has suspended an employee and issued an apology after that altercation you may have seen video of when what one of its planes involving crew members, several passengers, and a young child. What do we tell the children? Shut up and sit down. That's what we tell them. The airline responded after a video posted on Facebook by another passenger showed a confrontation between flight crew and passengers at um, the front of the aircraft going from SFO to Dallas. The incident occurred after the employee forcefully took a child's buggy from a woman, hitting her with it and narrowly missing hitting her child. The three-minute clip shows the aftermath of the incident. The woman crying, asking for the pushchair. Another passenger comes to her defense and threatens to punch the flight attendant who in turn challenges the passenger to hit him. We've seen the video and have already started an investigation to obtain the facts, said the airline. What we see on this video does not reflect our values or how we care for our customers. We're deeply sorry for the pain we've caused this passenger and her family and to any other customers affected by the incident. We're making sure all of her family needs are being met while she is in our care. After electing to take another flight, we are taking special care of her and her family and upgrading them to first class for the remainder of their international trip. The actions of our team member captured here do not appear to reflect patience or empathy, two values necessary for customer care. We are disappointed by these actions. Notice how many times the word care appeared in that uh, statement? And the word reaccommodated did not appear at all. Le plus A Florida state senator has stepped down amid intense backlash after he used the N-word to criticize several colleagues during an alcohol-fueled diatribe at a Tallahassee bar. I blame alcohol. Senator Frank Artiles, Republican of Miami, said in a resignation letter to the president of the Senate, Joe Negron, that he was accepting responsibility for his actions days after fellow legislators started trying to push him out. It is clear to me that my recent actions and words that I spoke fall far short of what I expect for myself, and for this I'm very sorry, he wrote in the letter. I apologize to my family and friends, and I apologize to all of my fellow senators and lawmakers. To the people of my district and to all of Miami-Dade, I'm sorry I've let you down and asked for your forgiveness. My actions and my presence in government is now a distraction to my colleagues, the legislative process, and the citizens of our great state. I take, I am responsible, and I am accountable, and effective immediately, I'm resigning from the Florida State Senate. Please vote for me for governor. No, he didn't say the loud. He had been facing pressure to resign since a heated conversation with two Democratic senators, both of whom are black. It's just a nutty coincidence. An apology from Georgetown University and the Society of Jesus, Maryland province for their roles in the 1838 sale of 272 enslaved individuals for the university's benefit took place this week. In the company of more than 100 descendants of the slaves. Today, the Society of Jesus, who helped to establish Georgetown and whose leaders enslaved and mercilessly sold your ancestors, stands before you to say, we have greatly sinned, said the president of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. We pray with you today because we have greatly sinned and because we are profoundly sorry, he said. The university created the liturgy in partnership with members of the descendant community and the Society of Jesus in the United States. Remember Rafi? Not Yanni. Rafi. He's a, a children's music icon of yesteryear. He tweeted this week that he strongly objects to the name of a band, the New Pornographers. Porn is not a word to normalize in public conversation. In response, the front man of the band sent out a series of tweets, including jokes about his five-year-old son's reaction to the situation. Rafi has now apologized to the new pornographers. 
In a fleeting moment, I reacted to a word which I wrote about in my book, now on sale. My tweet was without context on a gig night. There's your, there's the news. Rafi's still gigging. Not cool, he says. I apologize. Meant no disrespect to the band, its music, or its fans. Sincerely, Yanni. I mean, Rafi. He, he knew who he was. Deadline Boston Adidas has apologized for sending out a marketing email praising customers that said, survived this year's Boston Marathon. Congrats, said the email. You survived the Boston Marathon. On social media, customers quickly reminded the company about the real survivors of the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing. Three people were killed. More than 260 others were wounded, you may recall. The sports apparel company quickly apologized, saying it was incredibly sorry for the insensitive subject line about Monday's race. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Murmur of a morning breeze up there The rattle of the milkman on the stair Sure, that's music Mighty fine music The singing of a sparrow in the sky The perking of a coffee right nearby There's my favorite man
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations or NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on the Mighty Soho Radio in London, around the world, via the Internet at two different locations, live and I archive whenever you want at harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network SoundCloud, Tuna.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like a week from today being the 101st day. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much, huh? for this program a playlist of the music heard here on and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for Mayday all at harryshare.com and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. It originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans. <laughs>